from Genesis 22, verses 1 to 14. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord, will be the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. A reading from Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 to the end. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, None of these will lose their reward. Hello. This is just a reminder that this is a team service and those of us who give the talks uh, in team services are not theologically qualified. Uh, but offer our thoughts on the readings in the hope that it may be of some interest and value to our congregation. So let's have a look at our readings today. 
The story of Abraham and Isaac is one of the most shocking in the Bible, I think. Think of it happening today. If anyone got wind of Abraham's plans, there'd be police in four by fours, an ambulance and emergency social workers bouncing over the mountainside near modern day Nablus in the West Bank to intercept this crazy old man. He, he was old, he was well over a hundred, taking his son off to sacrifice him. You'd probably see an Israeli helicopter in the sky as well. Yet Abraham was a man of deep faith and obedience to God. So what are we to make of it? There's no doubt that Abraham was serious. He was well prepared with plenty of firewood. As I found when I walked part of the Masa Ibrahim long distance cultural footpath in the West Bank in February, this February, the mountains around there are comparatively barren. So you'd need to bring wood with you. And he was supported by two of his young men. But it seems he knows that the young men would not help him in the, in the actual ritual offering and leaves them behind when they get near the place God has told him to go. I'm interested in where this might be. Many think this is uh, near Mount Gerizim, above Tel Balata, a mound, an uh, archaeological site, the likely site of the Samaritan city of Shechem, near modern Nablus. And this is the area where it is thought, uh, it's thought that Abraham, at the age of 75, first settled in the land of the Canaanites after he left Ur of the Chaldees. Anyway, Isaac could see something was up and asks where the lamb for the burnt offering is. What happens then when Abraham has built the makeshift altar on the mountainside? Does, does he overpower his son or does his son meekly accept his fate? Or does Abraham hit him over the head to stun him? Isaac's name means he will laugh after the laughter of both his parents when God says they will bear a son in old age. But he's not laughing now. Interestingly, the Islamic tradition, which mostly believes that Isaac's half-brother, the righteous Ishmael, was to be sacrificed, not Isaac, that tradition has it that Abraham told his son about, about his vision and the son agreed to fulfill God's command to be the sacrifice. God then provided the ram as father and son had fulfilled the vision. For Abraham, both his sons were precious and no doubt so were the further six sons apparently he had by his last wife, Keturah, after Sarah died. And they, of course, went on to uh, become the tribes of Israel. Ishmael was the son of Hagar, as we heard last week, uh, the Egyptian servant of Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah, who apparently couldn't conceive, had suggested Hagar could help Abraham, who was then a mere 86 years old, to fulfill God's promise that he would be the progenitor of nations. Unlike in the Islamic tradition, God foretells that Ishmael will be a wild ass of a man who will not get on with anyone. So Isaac was possibly even more precious, especially having been bestowed on Sarah and Abraham by God's visit to them in their tent when Sarah was 90 years old, as we heard in the readings a couple of years, uh, weeks ago. 
Abraham was a special man. In Judaism, he is the father of the nation and the father of Judaism, the first Jew. In Islam, he is the main link between Adam and the prophet, the archetype of the perfect Muslim. He is a good man, a righteous man, and traditionally a man who shared, showed great hospitality to strangers and taught people the knowledge and worship of God. I visited his tomb alongside those of Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob and Leah at the cave of the patriarchs and matriarchs in the Ibrahim Mosque in Hebron, in fact, just before the lockdown. I also went to the small Jewish seminary inside the mosque, which has a separate, very well guarded entrance. Abraham's tomb straddles both areas. He is of great importance to both faiths. What of Christianity? Abraham's not such a major figure. That role, of course, is for Jesus, the Messiah. But as Paul argues in his letter to, Rome, to the Romans, Abraham is favoured by God to be the founder of his people due to his faith in God, who credits him with righteousness. In the story of the binding of Isaac, we see two qualities that imbue Abraham and possibly mirrored in Isaac as well. His absolute obedience to what he believes God is telling him and absolute faith that as he tells Isaac, God will provide. And God tests his obedience and faith right to the point of raising the horrendously sharp ritual killing knife above his son's bound body. Who, who knows whether Abraham really intended to go through with the sacrifice of his son? He tells the young men, after all, that we, not I, will return to you. He is obeying God in offering or raising up his son as an offering, which is terrifying enough. And perhaps, as Jewish scholars suggest, never really intended to kill him. Nor can we see even the God of the Old Testament as one to incite child murder, can we? Or perhaps, as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews suggests, he believed God would resurrect his son to fulfil God's prophecy that Isaac would found the Jewish people. What he is demonstrating is both obedience to and faith in God's intentions. How far can we follow that same path? How far can we take the risk, as Jenny told us last week, of loving and following God and reaping the reward of God's unending love? In our Gospel reading, we're being asked not so much to be righteous as to recognise it in others, that is righteousness, and to welcome and receive those others, thus acting in righteousness ourselves. This comes at the end of Jesus' commission to the disciples that we've heard in our recent readings. He gave them extensive healing powers, even to raise people from the dead. But he tells them not to take any money or spare clothes, but expect to earn their keep through their spiritual work. He also makes clear the challenges they'll face along the way. They'll face persecution, hatred and death threats. He tells them not to fear the person who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather to fear God, who has power over body and soul. He assures them of God's love 
who even numbers the hairs on their head. He promises to acknowledge before the Father anyone who acknowledges Jesus before people, but warns that he has not come to bring peace, but a sword which will cause division between those that follow him and those that reject him. So it is a tough commission. And these risks are reflected in the experience of those that welcome and receive the disciples. The disciple, the prophet and righteous person are taking risks for God, and those who help them assume similar risks. In addition to providing food, clothing, shelter and money, they are demonstrating personal support for Jesus and his church, which even today can lead at least to unpopularity and at worst, persecution. I think these verses give us the opportunity to encourage and support everyone who's doing the right thing by God and by our people. By doing so, we are welcoming the spirit of Jesus and God himself. As Jesus suggests, we may not meet many disciples or prophets in our lives, but we do meet righteous people. And we do meet what Jesus calls the little ones, people who do small acts of good to others. And we don't have to invite them to live with us or provide everything they need. Even giving a cup of cold water to quench the thirst has its reward. This is the reward of doing good, doing good for the world and its people. And we know that doing good does make us and those around us feel and act better. It can feel risky, or at least consuming time we don't feel we have to do this. When I feel like this, and I do, I try to remember that we're doing this for God, who is the ultimate arbiter of our behavior and the one to show us unconditional, everlasting love. So we don't have to be Abraham or as perfect in obedience and faith as Jesus, or even as one of the 11 disciples. We can show our support for God's work through even the smallest acts of kindness. And I guess this is just what we need now. During the triple whammy of pandemic, economic recession and deep inequalities and prejudice, we can welcome and receive people who want to help us and our neighbours. We can help each other in our community in big and small ways. Might be picking up someone's shopping or taking someone to hospital or providing a listening ear. As well as institutional and day-to-day -day racist discrimination, one of the repeated experiences of black people and people from ethnic minorities is microaggressions. This uses the same Greek word, mikros, for little, as the gospel reading does. The day-to-day -day experience of small acts of racism even though it may be from people who lack understanding of the impact of what they're saying, can be wearing and cause huge anger and depression. Whereas continued small acts of support, kindness and respect can have the opposite impact, generating love and well-being in people, our communities and in the world. So yes, let's recognize and welcome an obviously righteous person but let us also do this to all people we meet, since everyone has the capacity to be good to others. And we certainly will not lose our reward. Amen.
As Christ's people, we are no longer slaves to sin, but available for righteousness. In these uncertain times, when the world's attention is focused on coronavirus, let us focus our attention on you, the God of all creation. Holy God, you are the focus of our love and worship, because you alone are the Lord who made us and rescued us. May we not return to the slavery of sin, but live in your freedom, serving you with joy, in thankfulness for all you have done for us. Lord, hear us. Holy God, though the world may often reject you and reject your teaching to love our neighbours as ourselves, you never feel to love us with tenderness. We pray for all areas of conflict, deceit, mismanagement and greed, and for all who are drawn into the chaos of evil. As the Black Lives Matter movement gains momentum, old wounds are opened, divisions are widened, and people are tempted to take the law into their own hands. There is no easy remedy for the inequalities that exist in our society and societies around the world. We pray for all in power and authority, in politics, in commerce, in education, in organised religion, to work towards a fairer society that brings about lasting change for good and avoids hollow words that simply pass the book to the next generation. Lord, hear us. Holy God, our daily lives provide such rich ground for acts of loving-kindness, self-discipline and courage. Remind us of the opportunities and strengthen us to use them. As the nation strives to heal itself from the economic impact of coronavirus, should businesses fail and jobs be lost, there will be a demand for services such as free school meals and food banks. There were many good initiatives in response to the immediate emergency. We pray that after the early enthusiasm has passed, that help can be sustained and organisations work together to support those in need over the coming months. Lord, hear us. Holy God, we thank you for all who lovingly look after those in nursing homes, hospitals, nurseries and prisons. And we pray for all who need such care and rely on the help of others. Nursing homes and hospitals are under particular pressure as they seek resources and people to sustain the services they provide. Care and health practitioners are also being asked to put themselves in potential danger for the benefit of others. We give thanks for their devotion to duty and pray that the resources will be available to sustain them through these most challenging times. Lord, hear us. Holy God, we call to mind those who have recently died and thank you for each act of goodness in their lives. To call to mind a single person is relatively easy, but calling to mind the 40,000 who have died of coronavirus is challenging. Have mercy on them all and forgive their failings so that they may share the joy of heaven forever. Lord, hear us. Holy God, we thank you for our human potential for good and for your gift of grace that makes such goodness a real possibility. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.